Good to see you guys this morning. Welcome once again. My name is Alan. This is, uh, this is an exciting Sunday. Lots of stuff happening. We are thrilled to have any first responders who responded to our invitation to be here today so that we could honor you and invite you to, a, uh, to the cafe afterwards. And, and uh, we're just thankful for you and what you do. This is an exciting weekend also be, uh, for any of you who are sports fans. Of course, yes, in less than a month, the hockey season starts. So... <laughs> So that's exciting, plus football, plus football starts today, so so it starts this weekend. So uh, in addition to that, we're starting a new series called The Law. Most of us are fascinated by the law on, on some level, as evidenced by the popularity of courtroom dramas, TV shows, and movies that they have been popular generation after generation. My favorite all-time movie is A Few Good Men. This is a movie that has no car chases and no explosions, and yet still there's something about it that's fascinating. The idea of, of taking a law that that has to uh, apply to thousands, if not millions of different situations and circumstances, and, and it has to be interpreted. Every law has to be interpreted. That's why we have lawyers and judges and juries to try to figure out how this law ap- ap- applies to this particular situation. The law is fascinating. If you don't find it fascinating, you certainly are appreciative of the law, of the fact that we live in a civilized culture that has that has thoughtful laws that have been developed over uh, centuries and that, that these laws are enforced by courageous men and women that we are celebrating here as part of Valor Sunday, the uh, people who enforce these laws and make sure that they happen. We are appreciative of the law. Now, if you don't kind of first think that you are uh, fascinated or appreciative Uh, some people perhaps are annoyed by the law. I mean, there are times when we're annoyed by rules, limits, boundaries on on how we are to live life. The law is usually great when it applies to somebody else. And it's a little less exciting or appealing when it comes to the point where it applies to us. The first five books of the Bible— Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, they are referred to as the Torah, and the Torah means the law. So as we look at these books, as we look at the foundation of the whole story, are you fascinated by the law in Scripture? Are you appreciative of the law, or are you annoyed by the law? We're going to dig into this. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we... uh, come to you today, and we seek wisdom. So, uh, Father, you have set up a system. You have provided boundaries and limitations, some of which we don't like, some of which we are appreciative of. And so, God, would you help us today to understand more about you and more about the system that you created and the laws that you have set in motion? God, we, we, we don't want to just obey. We want to, to connect with one another and with you through an understanding of how you've set this whole thing up. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Uh, I see some of you have your journal. If you would open up your journal to pages 8 and 9, I want to give you kind of a, a, a background a little bit on where the law fits into the overall story. Pages 8 and 9 in your journal look very similar to what's on the screen. 
that what we're doing is we're dividing up the whole story of God into seven parts. This is the, the entire story of humanity, what I like to refer to as the whole shebang. It's, the, it's all that we find in Scripture, plus everything that has happened since then, plus glimpses we have of the end of the story. Every story that you are familiar with from uh, Bible school or whatever uh, is a part of this, of this overall uh, look at the story. Every moment in human history is a part of this one grand story that God is telling. You, sitting here in this room right now, you are part of this story. That's the unwritten section there. So we are walking through all seven parts of this and kind of looking at this one piece at a time over a three-year period. And uh, so what we're going to do over those three years is have six different journals like this. And each journal is going to look at two different parts of this story. And so this series called The Law is really focusing on the foundation part of the story, the first part of the story. This essentially is the first half of the Old Testament. It's the story of God setting things in motion, of God creating everything and creating us. It's a story of God identifying a group of people, the Israelites, through whom he would redeem all of creation, all of, of uh, humanity. It's, it's, it really is the foundation of the whole story. The first half of the Old Testament kind of sets up who we are, why we're here, etc., etc. And what we're going to do here in these next five weeks is we're going we're gonna to do an, a, an overview of the foundation of the story and see how central and important the law is in terms of understanding God's setup, God's foundation of the story, and his desire to have a relationship with us. So what we're going to do uh, this morning here in week one is we are going to look at the very first law, the first rule, the first boundary, the first limitation that God gave his creation, that God gave humanity. And it is found in the first three chapters of the Bible, Genesis chapters 1 to 3. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open uh, there. It's one of the easiest chapters to find in the Bible. <laughs> Genesis chapters 1 through 3. When I was in seminary a number of years ago, I took, in my first year, I took an introduction to the Old Testament course. It was a one-year, a full-year course. And uh, over those, over those uh, eight months of study, the professor took the first two months to look at Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. 929 chapters in the Old Testament, and we spent a quarter of our time on three chapters, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. I think there was like a competition among Old Testament professors to see how long they could just stay in Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. But this really is the foundation of the story. It all begins... Chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Many people can't get past those first 10 words. And it certainly takes a measure of faith to believe that. To, to get past those first 10 words. But I think no more faith that it takes to believe in other formation stories in terms of how we came to be, etc. I don't think it takes any, any more faith to believe this 
than it takes to believe that a living cell somehow formulated out of atoms bouncing around in the universe, that a living cell somehow came to be on a planet that just happened to have all the precise criteria for a living cell to survive, and that that living cell started to multiply and evolve and change and just start to become millions of different organisms, and those cells started to form into different sets of cells. For example, the human brain, that these cells just happened to formulate into the human brain that is still vastly more sophisticated than any computer we've ever created and way more energy efficient. The human brain, that just, it takes a tremendous amount of faith to believe that, that all of that uh, just happened by chance. Now, I, I, don't, I don't know exactly uh, how it all happened. I don't know if it was six days and if it happened 6,000 years ago. I don't know if there was a big bang and that God used that in order to distribute the uh, items as a part of the world and, and adjust and make every, everything happen. I don't know if God uses adaptation and, and, and evolution, some elements of evolution in order to, to set things to happen the way they, they are. I have a place where I land on all of that stuff, but I'm not exactly sure what I do know is that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, we can question God. We can question whether or not God did a good job with creation. And we can think, you know, I probably would have made a few things different. I'm not sure if I would have brought the mosquitoes in, or et cetera. We can question some of those things. We can struggle with God's creation and say, say why is there evil? If God created everything, why did God allow evil to exist? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why have bad things happen to people that I love? We can bring that stuff to the table, but we have to decide. Before we move on in this story, we have to decide if we can believe. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We will struggle with the whole story. We'll struggle with every law, every part of the story, every teaching of Jesus if we struggle with these first 10 words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then we have in in the rest of chapter one, this beautiful creation poem of how this all came to be. And then we find the very first law, the first rule, the first boundary, the first limitation in Genesis chapter two. Verse 16, the story goes, and the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, as we begin with this whole story, as we begin with this series, it is important to ask, why did the tree even exist in the garden? Why was the tree there? Why, why did God set things up the way God did? Why did God allow Adam and Eve to even make the mistake 
to even make the wrong choice? Why even put the tree in the garden? Why the temptation? Why set them up for failure? Because we know what happens. Chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? I summarized a couple weeks ago that in the overall grand story of humanity, there are three main characters, and this is important for us to understand. These three characters show up in this verse, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. We have the protagonist, the hero of the story, God. We have humanity, the second character in the story, the love of God's life. Essentially, it is a love story. It is a story about the redemption, the reconciliation, the love between God and God's people. That's the whole story. We have a third character in the story, the antagonist, who shows up in this verse as the serpent. And the antagonist's job is to sabotage the love relationship between the first two characters. That's the job of the antagonist. Second half of that verse that I just read, he said to the woman, the serpent says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Is that what God said? No, no. Read back chapter 2, verses 16. God didn't say you can't eat from any tree. The serpent is twisting God's words. The next verse, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Is that what God said? No. Once again, there's a twisting happening. God didn't say anything about you can't touch it. There's, there's something being added to this law, to this rule, to this boundary, this guideline. Serpent response, verse 4, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That's not what God said. That's not what, this, what the plan is here. You see, you have to understand the role of the antagonist in the story. Satan, serpent, devil, whatever you want to call him, he doesn't care whether you believe in him or not. He doesn't care if you follow him. You know, I, you know the, the Satan worshipers, uh, there are groups of people who worship. I don't think Satan gives a, a rip about anyone who worships him. He doesn't care about people. He doesn't want people to follow him or, or, or believe in him. He doesn't care if you think he exists or not. All he wants to do is have you doubt the hero in the story. All Satan wants to do, will do whatever he can to have the, the, the humanity character distrust the hero in the story. The serpent wanted Adam and Eve and continues to want us to believe that the law is malicious. That the law, whatever laws, not just this first law, but every law that has ever been a part of the human experience from the one who created us, every law in the Old Testament, every teaching of Jesus, every whisper of the Holy Spirit in terms of, of where wisdom comes from, the enemy wants us to believe that those things are to harm us, to hold us back from enjoying life and experiencing contentment in life, and wants us to believe that this God, this hero, 
does not have our best interest in mind. That's the intent, is to sabotage this love relationship between the first two characters in the story. The first law is provided in Genesis chapter 2, and that first law is broken in Genesis chapter 3. It did not take long because we don't like rules and boundaries and limitations and laws. We don't like being told what to do. So let me ask you again. Why was there even a tree in the middle of the garden? Why did God set this story up and put a tree in the middle as God chose to do? Here's a simple answer. Here's a simple answer. Because you and I need the law. You and I need limits, boundaries, and rules. We need them. That God wants to have a relationship with us. It's a, the whole story is a, is a love relationship between God and humanity. And every relationship has rules, has limits, has boundaries. Every relationship. The re- rules and boundaries in relationships, they don't restrict you in the relationship. They give you freedom in the relationship to know this is where we can function. We're not to go outside of that because that's when things fall apart. We stay within these boundaries. We will be healthy. We will be strong. We will enjoy each other more. Every relationship has boundaries. If you are married, do you have spoken or unspoken rules, laws, boundaries that are a part of your marriage relationship? If you're not sure or if your answer is no, then you need to have a conversation very quickly with your spouse because you don't know what the rules are and you need to know what these rules are. There are things that are out of bounds. There are topics that are out of bounds. There are family members that are out of bounds in conversations. We need the law. We need boundaries and restrictions. All of us here in this room, we're going to agree that there is right and wrong in this world. I've never met somebody who doesn't believe that there is some kind of right or wrong. What we're not going to agree on is what is right and what is wrong. that's That's where the interpretation comes in. We're not going to agree on exactly what is right and what is wrong, but we are going to agree that there is such a thing as right and wrong. We need laws in order to understand that and walk that out. We live in a fully developed functioning, civilized society because of legislation. We need legislation to, 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 um, to, have, to provide thoughtful laws, rules, and boundaries for us to, to thrive. We need, uh, you know, remember the old TV show, uh, Law and Order? Don't, don't. Okay, if you ever watch the show, you know that sound, okay? And so there are many different versions of it, uh, Victims unit and, and uh, you know, sports accidents, you know, whatever. Whatever different versions of the law and order thing are. But, but it's, it's the same thing, that there are two elements to the story. We need the law because, because you and I, humanity, we can't figure things out just on our own, just on our own thinking and our own abilities. Our self-interest always kicks in. And so we will, we will always combat one another, and, it, and, and there will always be times where we can't come to that compromise, that fixed position. There will always be times for that. So we need legislation. We need laws that help us out in those times. We need the law. We also need order. We need courageous men and women that we are celebrating uh, this morning 
to enforce those laws because it's not just that the law exists. Those laws need to be upheld. For us to be able to function in society, we need laws. We're not going to agree exactly on what, the, what right and wrong is, but we're always going to agree that there is such a thing as right and wrong. And we all, whatever our definition of right and wrong is, we are going to break those rules. We're going to break that right and wrong. So we need some kind of system to manage this, to move through this. We need laws. We benefit from laws. I met a gentleman a couple weeks ago who was visiting our church, and he told me his story. He said that when he was a young man in a different state, he got caught for uh, breaking and entering. And it was a felony charge experience. So he got 10-year sentence in jail, 10 years for B and E. And the judge showed him some grace after I believe it was about two years. And the judge met with him and said, okay, instead of finishing out uh, your, your sentence, you can go to Teen Challenge and finish out a chunk of time in order to, uh, to rehabilitate and get back into society. He believed that there was something uh, hopeful in this young man. Teen Challenge is a national Christian organization that has very strict boundaries, rules, guidelines. And so, so they have live-in uh, people who stay and they have things that they need to do and times that they need to do them and, and they have to get this stuff done and they're involved with Bible studies and involved with taking care of one another and listening to one another. And, and so the whole thing is about very strict rules so that they can make good decisions and enter back into society and not back into the life that they had before they either were caught in an addiction or before they got incarcerated. It's just, it's just this incredible. I've visited a few different Teen Challenge organizations uh, uh, throughout my time, and they're just these incredible organizations that have strict rules. So I met with this guy a couple weeks ago. He told me a story, and he said, you're going to think I'm making this up because of this series. You're going to think I make up all my stories. But this, he, he said to me, he said, Alan, I love the law. He said that. I love the law the law, which is what we read in the Old Testament sometimes. David at one point, he says, he says, God, your laws and precepts are perfect. They're sweeter than honey, finer than gold. There's this appreciation, this deep, deep, deep love and appreciation for the law. What I think this uh, man meant by the words that he said when he said, I love the law, he was talking about his Teen Challenge experience. I think what he was saying was, I love the restrictions that were put on me by the Teen Challenge experience because it allowed me to get my head screwed on straight. I love what that opportunity did for me and my journey and my life. We need the law. And God knew how much we needed the law and he had to start somewhere. You have to start somewhere. So God starts in Genesis chapter 2 saying, I'm going to put a tree in the middle of the garden because the, the, the humanity, these people that I love so much, they need to understand where the law fits in this journey. You have to start somewhere. When my oldest was young, we wouldn't let him drink soda. And then when he was five years old, he wanted clarity on the rule. And so he said, Dad, when can I drink soda? When is, obviously I can't now, I understand that, but when can I? This was our first child, and I felt like 10 years old was forever away. So I just said, I just said, when you're 10. 
I just said, because I'm the lawmaker in this, in, this, in this relationship. So that became the law. That was the rule. And it really worked. It was like this, this, this wonderful thing because he never asked again. He never struggled. He just knew. That's when I'm 10 years old. And then on his 10th birthday, we had this huge soda party. And he, and he just drank it up and was caffeined up for the whole day. It was awesome. And so he didn't have a sip of soda until he was 10 years old. Now, the point is not that nine means soda is bad and 10 means soda is good. That's not the point. The point of this in terms of our our, our relationship with our son and the development of, of this child is that rules are okay. Boundaries, limitations are okay. You can trust mom and dad even if you don't like the rule. You can trust mom and dad because there are times when mom and dad understand things that you don't understand. And it's the same message for us as children of God. There are times when we don't understand things that God understands. And what is essential in this journey is, do you trust the one who gave the law? Do you trust the one who put the tree in the middle of the garden? You have to start somewhere. I think God started up this story, and as a foundation of this story, he said, we got to start somewhere. So whatever you are struggling with, whatever is your weakness, whatever is your Achilles heel, you got to start somewhere. What, what, is, what is a law, a boundary, a limitation that you can put on yourself, that a, 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 your family or an, a person that you're accountable to can help put on you so that you can gain some ground. What's a, what's a wise starting place for you in an area where you struggle? If you struggle with anger, that there's this thing that boils up in you sometimes and you don't want it to come up in certain moments. You don't want it to come up at all, but it does. It just happens and it takes control over what you say, et cetera. It just feels that way. Where can you get started? Maybe there's one place that is an angry-free zone. Maybe there is just, maybe it's your home, and you just declare, you put up a sign somewhere, this is an angry free zone. So that if you get angry in that spot, you have to go for a walk, you have to go for a drive. I'd, I'd lean towards the walk. But maybe you have to start somewhere. Start somewhere with this. Maybe, maybe your issue is, is, is what you struggle with is eating healthy. And that's something you've been wanting to do for such a long time and you just want to eat healthy. I do not recommend you do a crazy 40-day diet where everything changes in your whole, everything that you touch and eat. I wouldn't recommend that. I tried that once. <laughs> uh, it was called, what is it called? The, the, the hell 40, whatever, yeah. <laughs> So, uh, so anyway, I tried that. Well, maybe where can you start? Where's some simple place that you can start? Maybe you're saying, I'm going to stay away from soda, like the little boy. Maybe you're just going to, maybe you're saying, I'm not going to eat after 7 p.m. at night. I'm going to get my dinner and I'm not going to eat. It's just, you don't have to change everything. Is there some way that you can get started? You have to start somewhere. Wisdom says we're going to start somewhere and start to see some success. Maybe you struggle with alcohol. Or you sit here right now and you wonder if you struggle with alcohol. Where can you get started? Where can you, maybe a good place to start would just be to say, I'm not going to drink when I'm alone. Or I'm not going to drink when I'm sad 
hoping that this is going to make me happy. Those, those are some dangerous pathways. Where's a place that you can get started? Because, because we all need laws, boundaries, limitations. And God said, as he started off this story, he said, we're going to get started somewhere. Before we get into the other, some of the other laws from the Old Testament as a part of the foundation story in the first half of the, of, of the, of the Old Testament, where next week we're going to talk about the Ten Commandments. And before we get into, into those pieces, we're going to look at this first law here today. What's your response to the very fact that God gives laws? What's your response when you come in and you, you look in your journal, you see up on the screen, we're going to talk about, about the law for five weeks. Blech. What's your response? How does your heart and your mind respond to that? Are you fascinated by the law? Are you appreciative of the law? Or are you annoyed by the law? We need the law. God had to start somewhere, and he chose a tree in the middle of a beautiful garden. He chose a tree for a reason. He got started somewhere for us to understand. We can trust God through this. We're going to close here today by honoring a law that Jesus himself gave us, a commandment that Jesus himself gave us. We refer to it as communion. That Jesus said to those who are, who are followers of Christ, he said, he said with regard to the bread and the cup, he said, do this in remembrance of me. He, he said, do this. This is, a, this is a law. It's a commandment from Jesus himself. And so as we think about why are there laws, why are these things that God has asked us to do, as we head into this moment, I invite you to just think about the law overall and how much we trust the one who gives those laws. If, um, when, if you want to practice communion with us today, we practice an open communion. If you're visiting, please feel free to participate. We just ask that you are a follower of Jesus. So we invite you to take the elements, hold them, and then we'll take them together afterwards. Would you bow your heads with me? Father God, I thank you for your law. I pray that we would, would love it the way this young man did. That we would love it the way David did in the Psalms. God, that we would love your guidance for us, the wisdom that you want to impart through the law. We embrace that. We take it in today, just as we take in the bread and the cup. We want to take in your word, your laws, your commandments, because we trust you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.